0: Well, good morning, church family, and if this is your first Sunday here at Windsor Road, I want to extend you a warm welcome. Um, My name is Randy bolton and I'm privileged to serve as the senior minister here at the church, Uh, and I really hope that before you leave today, I hope that you're sensing what we're singing here in this last song that Emily led, uh, that you know and feel and sense God's love for you truly, truly want you to walk out of here knowing that there's a God who is in charge of this universe, and He thinks fondly of you, and He loves you. And um, that's one of the reasons why we are starting a series of messages uh, on parables, parables of grace, parables that talk about God's Love and God's mercy and God's grace for us. And so uh, this is a good Sunday to be here for the first time if you are a newcomer. And uh, I'd like to ask if you take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 20, the New Testament book of Matthew chapter 20. You'll find out on page 825 of your church Bibles. If you don't have a copy of God's word to call your own and you'd like one, please take a copy of uh, the word and to receive it as a gift from this grateful church family. Um, we're in Matthew chapter 20, and we're going to be looking at um, a parable that Jesus told. The parable of the laborers in the vineyard, I've kind of titled it parable of the eccentric landowner. I think you'll find that out in a minute, but actually what I'd like to do is to begin reading with the very last verse of chapter 19. So just go up one verse. You'll see why in just a moment. Jesus is speaking, but many who are first will be last and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house He did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, will you go into the vineyard too? And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, uh, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity so the last will be first and the first last? Do you see how that phrase is repeated? It's sort of brackets the entire parable there. That's why I included it. This is God's Word. Well, one thing we learn about God from these verses is that he obviously did not attend the University of Illinois Business School or any business school for that matter in the United States. I mean, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. We've got a couple of members here, professors at the business school. I can't imagine them standing up in class and saying, now the way to make money, the way to profit is to pay those who work all day the same as those who just work one hour a day for the same job i mean who does that nobody does that that's not that's not a way to profitability that's a way to bankruptcy huh i mean nobody does that and yet jesus says that's what the kingdom of heaven is like <laughs> that's what the kingdom got that's that's god's economy and I mean when we push back, don't we? That's not fair. That's not, it's not fair. It's not. We were here first. We we came early. We set our alarms. We woke up and we showed up at the labor hall there in the village. The village is where Jesus preached. There would have been a what's equivalent to a labor hall? A, labor-ready area where the day laborers would gather. These would be those who were really on the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum. They didn't have their own estate, and they didn't have a steady job. They just worked by the day, and it was all hand-to-mouth. And if they worked, they got paid. And when they got paid at the end of the day, then they would go and get food for their family. And, you know, I'm thinking of the movie uh, Cinderella Man. uh, James J. Braddock, world heavyweight champion. During the Depression, Russell Crowe played him. And uh, when uh, the Depression hit, uh, he found himself showing up at the docks there and waiting to be picked. And the difference between dinner... Or water was being selected, and so these laborers showed up early. We were here early, and the landowner himself came and he uh, chose some workers he says i 'll pay you a denarius work all day what 's a denarius that 's a coin it's a it 's what it looks like that 's a first century denarius it 's a unit of money, and that would have been considered a day's wage in the first century. And that was the arrangement that was made. Crack of dawn. But there's a huge bumper crop here. We've got to get the grapes. Got to get the grapes. So the landowner goes back at the third hour. And then the 6th hour, and then the ninth hour, what's that? Well, that's 9 o'clock in the morning, and then that's noon, and then that's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. He's still not done. He's got to get the, there's a cold front coming in. My grapes are going to freeze. I need workers. He goes back. Why are you standing idle here? Well, because, verse 7, no one has hired us. Well, you go to the vineyard too. And so, even at 5 o'clock, even at the 11th hour, the work still wasn't done and so the landowners I've got to get more workers and so he goes back there to the labor hall and well who's there at five o'clock right the leftovers that's who you know because there's been other landowners throughout the day show up but they're not chosen how good can these be if they're still there at five o'clock well he's got work to do come on let's go so they go And they put in about an hour, and then the sun sets, and then it's time to pay the wages because that's the way it worked. You got paid at the end of each day so that they could go get food for their family, you see. Well, the landowner says something a little odd, but he says uh, to the foreman, listen, let's do something different. Let's pay those who came last first. Let's just do that, okay? All right. So they line up. Last come first in line, and ready to dole out the wages. And why those? They get their envelope. What would that denarius be in our day? Probably, oh, probably one hundred and twenty bucks. A day's work, you know, take out taxes and all that. You're gonna get one hundred and twenty bucks cash. So the last come, they get the envelope. And they walk away and they look in, and there are six crisp twenty dollar. Six, I got 620 Me too. So what's up with that? I don't know. It's $120 an hour. That's, I mean, that's, fen- my my therapist doesn't make that much per hour. My goodness. Oh, wow. Well, Jesus, I'll work for you. <laughs> hey, man, I'll work for you. What, did you think it's a mistake? I don't know, but don't say anything. Keep walking. Keep walking, you know. Well, those behind them weren't so quiet. They saw they got 106, Chris, $20 bills, so much so that, you know, news travels fast, so they're at the back of the line are the early birds, right? And, and when they heard how much those who had only worked one hour had been paid, they started doing the math. Well, if they get $120 an hour, we work hours. My goodness. Yeah. Let me interrupt myself, by the way. It's a great quote. An expectation is premeditated resentment. Mm -hmm. Okay. Expectation is premeditated resentment. Verse 10. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more but each of them also received a denarius, and on receiving it, they grumbled. Oh, they opened that up. Hey! Hey! Hi, what's up with that? Hey! What, this is, what's up with this measly 120? They grumbled. Now, the New Testament comes to us by the way of the Greek language. I want to teach you a Greek word. You know what the Greek word for grumble is? It's the word gangusmas. Gangusmas. Kind of sounds like it, doesn't it? it sounds like what it is, right? Gangusmas. They grumbled. These last gonguzmas, they worked only one hour. You've made them equal to us who have bor- borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. Gonguzmas, grumbling, whining, complaining, gonguzmasing. This means something. Jesus, are you, are you trying to say that when God balances the books in heaven, that those who, you know, worked all day and bore the heat of the day, gets the, they get the exact same as those who work maybe an hour? Is, is that what you're saying? Are you saying that Billy Graham, who has preached the gospel to more human beings in the history of Christianity, that he, that he gets the same as what, say, like the thief on the cross, who was gas- who, a thief. He was actually a terrorist. He was actually a, a, a revolutionary, and, and, and he, so in his dying breath, he says, Lord, remember me when you come to your kingdom, and Jesus said, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise, and I mean, they get the same? Come on. No, that's not fair. That's not fair. I mean, God's ways, we know God's ways aren't our ways, but at least they ought to be fair. That's not fair, is it? And then, and then what does the landowner say? See, look at how he responds. Verse 14, take what belongs to you and go. What? Go on. Take your version of whatever you think religion ought to be like. Just take it and go on. Move along. I don't have time for you. Go on. Go on. Well, how could you sell? Well, we were here first. We worked the hardest. We bore the heat of the day. We went all in. We gave thousands of dollars. We took vacation time to go on missions trips. We volunteered in the nursery. <laughs> what? And, move, and go on? What? Really? Really? Why, why would he say that? Why would he say that? Back up to verse 13. But he replied to one of them, "Friend." Oh, that's a great word. There are several words for "friend" in the Bible, and this word it shows up three times in the New Testament. And every time it shows up, it's kind of in a it's kind of in a um, oh, a, a, a confrontive context. It means, "Look, Buster! <laughs> Look, Buster!" Look, Buster, I'm doing you no wrong. Here it is. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Well, well, no. It's a yes-no question, Randy. Did you or did you not, in the morning, when you showed up and when I chose you, did you not agree with me for a denarius? Yes or no? Well, yeah. Well, all right, then What? and then it dawns on us is that how is that how we've been thinking about our Christianity a deal a business transaction is that how we've been you know with one hand we count all of the ways that we have helped God you're welcome glad to be here and then on the other hand we're just saying okay fork it over pay up it's the end of the day is that is that Is that our version of faith, really? And then, when God gives you what you wanted, you're not happy. You resent it. Because you think that the deal he made with you is the deal that he just ought to make with everybody else. And when he doesn't, then, well, expectation is premeditated resentment, you see. And we just think that God, Ought to, we want we want to tell god what to do with that which belongs to him <laughs> and we're not happy you know how to make your child happy give him a toy give him a toy do you know how to make your child unhappy give his sister two toys See, we, we're all for grace as long as it's fair. We, we don't mind grace as long as someone deserves it. <laughs> now, now, let's just think that one over. Because if you have to deserve grace, is it really grace? See? See? So, so maybe it's better for us to think of all that we have received as coming from the grace of God and all that anybody else has ever received as coming from the grace of God. And instead, you know, we moss. We moss. And let me tell you, when we grumble, God doesn't really hear he, he turns a deaf ear to our grumbling. He does not tolerate our grumbling. He reminds us that all is his and that he can do with what belongs to him what he wants. And that's what's behind verse 14. You see that? I choose to give to the last worker as I give to you. See that? And then verse 15. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? That's a convicting question, isn't it? It really is. Are, are, are you the type of person who marvels at God's generosity? Or are you the kind of person who gets jealous over God's generosity to someone else? Do you get grumpy over the undeserved happiness of others? And especially others with whom maybe you're not happy. <laughs> see? You're not happy with that person, and then you see God bless that person, and then you get annoyed by God's grace. God's grace to them gives you heartburn. <laughs> Do you begrudge God's kindness if His giving to others results in the blessing of children or the blessing of marriage or the blessing of wealth or the blessing of opportunities, really? Really? I have to confess to you, this has hit home to me just this past week in a way that, you know, it just kind of snuck up on me, but it, it just did. Um, so earlier this week, our administrative minister, Mike Simmons, uh, and I went to a large church pastors conference, uh, a conference of about 50 or 60 pastors uh, of Christian churches across the country that gathered, the size dynamic was between 500 and 1,000. Uh, because there are unique opportunities and unique challenges of size dynamics of such. And so we went, and of all places, um, it was in Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, what are 50 pastors doing in <laughs> Las Vegas, Nevada? But that's where it was, and, um, and we were in meetings uh, Basically all day, we had one free night. It was a very fast conference, uh, uh, but we had one free night Tuesday night. Now, what do 50 pastors do in Las Vegas, uh, you know, and still keep their jobs? Well, (laughs) let me tell you. All right. This is what we did Tuesday night. We went go. We went go karting. This is there. It is. Woo! And um, and there's uh, there. That's the last picture Mike Simmons took before I fired him. Um, that, that's that's uh, me. That. That's in the when you when you go to the dictionary and look up the word dweeb, that's what you're going to find there. And so, and and what was even funnier about the whole thing was uh, they catered in barbecue. So you got fifty pastors who gorged themselves on barbecue, and then they went in circles really fast. <laughs> I don't know, you know. I found out uh, that there's two different Las Vegases. You know, there's the Las Vegas that we see on billboards and screens and whatnot. And then there's, like, the Las Vegas of where the townies are. It's two different cultures. And if you're ever there, you should, uh, there's four very healthy Christian churches. Uh, Central Christian Church, Canyon Ridge uh, Christian Church. Uh, there's a, church, a Christian church called The Crossing. And then uh, there's a church called Verve Verve, And I mention this because the pastor of this church, uh, Verve, is a brother by the name of Vince Antonucci. Started the church uh, several years ago. Twenty years ago, Vince attended Windsor Road. And he was in law school here at the U of I. And he was a new believer at the time. Uh, went to law school here for one year, and it was like God got a hold of his heart. And um, after the year was over, he uh, transferred to Cincinnati Christian University and uh, went to seminary, got his master's degree. He started a church in Virginia, and um, now about four years ago, he started this church, and it's a growing church. It's exciting, and it was it was really really rewarding to reconnect. I had not seen him in over 20 years to see what God has done. That was encouraging. That part was encouraging. Um, I wish I could say that I was as encouraged by some of the other parts, and here's what I mean by that. So they had this conference notebook that had the pictures of all the attendees and where they lived and the names of their church, and then the church attendance. So I'm flipping through the notebook and I'm looking at the faces and then the location and the name of the church and then the attendance and then I'm flipping and then I I just look at the name of the church and then the attendance and then I just flip and then I just start looking at just the attendance. Comparing. And you know, we're on the high side of Large churches between 500 and 1,000. So I was feeling pretty good about myself. (laughs) I was feeling pretty good. I felt like an early bird, right? And then I heard of this one church in Texas. (laughs) 55 acres of land we have a measly 10. And it's not measly, but I'm comparing, right? Can you hear that? (laughs) Gongus And they struck oil on their property. (laughs) Do you know how much the first royalty check was? One million dollars. And I fell on my knees and sang the doxology. No, I did not. <laughs> no, I... Gongusmas! I want oil! I want oil! When am I going to get oil? Someone told me after first service, well, there, there's oil in the parking lot underneath my 2,000 Taurus if you want it. I mean, that's... <laughs> I've served you all these years. When am I going to get that? When, what, what then will I have? And, and that question, friends, is the very question that brought the entire parable into the conversation. Because that's the, what then will we have? That's the exact question that the Apostle Peter asked in Matthew 19, 27. You see, Jesus has encountered both the last and the first in Matthew 19. He encounters the last, those whom the culture would call last, those who who feel the ache of broken marriages, the children, children who had no voice in that culture the last and then those whom the culture would call first the rich young man who would not follow Christ because he would not leave the idol of his wealth jesus said it's very difficult for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's harder for them to see their need for God. And the disciples say, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus said, well, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And that's when Peter said in Matthew 19, 27, yeah, but we've left everything to follow you. What then will we have? And Jesus goes, Peter, Peter, why would you need to ask that question in the new world? In the new world, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, those of you, you 12 who have left everything, you're going you're to be sitting on 12 thrones. And then he says this, and, and, everyone, everyone who leaves their, their, uh, their home and their uh, family of origin, the things that would keep people from God. Whatever keeps you from God. If you leave, you put God first. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you. There's plenty of grace to go around. Grace is coming to the 5 p.m.ers as well as to the early birds. There's going to be enough for everyone. Peter, you don't need to ask that question. Which leads to this question. And Again, I'm just... Not exactly proud of this question, but I'm thinking it. Maybe you are too. And it's this question <laughs> Well, if the 5 p.m.ers get the same as the early birds, why not wait until then so that I don't have to do the heavy lifting? Right? Am I the only one who's thinking that? I mean, why? Why? What's the incentive of serving God at 6 a.m. instead of 5 p.m.? Why not, serve? Why not Why not? forget the alarm, break the thing, sleep in, eat your Cheerios at 10.30, go play video games, go gorge yourself on Cincinnati's finest graders ice cream, take a nap, and then saunter down to the labor hall at 5 p.m., and, 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 and then just do about 50 minutes worth of work, and then just waltz right into the pearly gates. Now, what's wrong with that? Well, it's like this. When I ask that question, when I make that kind of a statement, see, I say that only because I have forgotten how desperate I was when Christ first invited me to serve in his vineyard. See, that's why I think that way. I, I think that way because I have forgotten where I was when Christ rescued me. I have forgotten that the vineyard of Christ is a place of hope and a place of provision and a place of promise as opposed to where I was. Hopelessness, hunger, purposelessness. I, I've forgotten how broken bankrupt I was, and I've forgotten how others were depending on me, and I had nothing until Jesus came. When I, when I think like that, I have forgotten that though I may think I showed up at dawn. As opposed to them, you see, and already we've divided the church into we, they, we, they, and the body of Christ is divided. See, and I have forgotten that although the master found people at different times, he still found them in the same place. Oh, and furthermore, my scheming about waiting until 5 p.m., the last hour, assumes that the owner will show up then on my timetable. (laughs) And I have forgotten that the owner doesn't owe me anything. To whom does God owe salvation? If we only knew how satisfying the grace of God was, if we could only taste and see that the Lord is good then we would want it for ourselves and for any, no matter what time they showed up. We we, we would realize that there there is so much of God's grace, I'll never be able to take it all in, ever. And it is so satisfying that I'm going to want for all what God has given in His grace for me. Imagine, think with me for a minute. Imagine waking up at dawn, going to the labor hall, hoping others are depending on you for the work, and, and 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 you're not chosen. You're not chosen then. You're not chosen at nine or noon or three, but at five o'clock, the owner himself appears. He shows up. He doesn't delegate the job out. He goes and he enters my world, and he invites me to serve, and I don't even ask what the pay is because I know whatever he gives me is going to be better than an empty. Stomach, and then and then I don't get a twelfth of I get the whole thing. Imagine the gratitude. I don't know where he went to business school, but it's unlike any business school I've ever heard of. I want to learn that. That's good. See, Jesus doesn't play by the rules, he goes beyond the rules. And let me just tell you something. Here's the secret: listen. We're all 5 p.m.ers. Amen. Every one of us. Every one of us are 5 p.m.ers. We, we may think, no, I, I've been at this church. Listen, hey, listen, listen. Christianity's 2,000 years old. You're not an early bird. You're a 5 p.m.er. And so am, am I. Uh, Robert Capon. Uh, wrote an excellent piece about this parable. He says, Bookkeeping is the only punishable offense in the kingdom of God because bookkeeping makes it about me. If the world could have been saved by bookkeeping, it would have been saved by Moses, not Jesus. But human history has proven what Romans 3.10 says, None is righteous, no, not one. Well, there is one. His name is Jesus, and he took on my books he assumed my sin debt in his death on the cross for me colossians 2:17 says he canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands this he set aside nailing it to the cross and now there is no debt that can keep you out of the clutches of a love that will not let you go there's no minimum balance below which the grace that finagles all accounts will cancel your credit. For in that happy state, the books are ignored forever, and there's only one book, and it's the book of life. And I'm in it because of what someone else did for me. And in that book, nothing stands against you. you hear what Jesus is saying, church family? Listen. Whenever God invites you, respond. And whatever God gives you, rejoice. Taste and see that the Lord is good. This parable, you know, there's really not an ending, is there? We don't know what's going to happen. What's going to happen to the early birds? Are they going to, you know, are they going to, are they going to, keep grumbling? Are they gonna keep gungus-mossing, or will they? Or will they fall on their knees and thank the master? What, what are they gonna do? It's open-ended. I know what we need to do, I do. What if we were a community filled with so much gratitude? What if we were a community filled with so much joy, so much love, so much appreciation to God for his goodness and mercy, that whoever walked through these doors we saw them as those whom the landowner invited. If you're here, it's because God has invited you. What if? What if? What if? What if we stopped asking, "What's in it for me?" What if we stop asking that question of God because we're so convinced He's good, He's going to take care of us? We don't need to ask the question that Peter asked in Matthew nineteen twenty-seven. We don't need to ask what am I going to get? We don't need to ask that question because we already know what we have in Christ. We already know. Paul says in Ephesians 1, God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing that's in Christ Jesus. What if we truly really connected to us and we really believe that? What would it be like to sing the doxology when I hear of God's blessing in your life. What would that be like? And that's one of the signs of a mature Christian that we root for one another. What would that be like? And what would it be like to treat people like the owner of the parable? What would that be like? No, I'm not, I'm not saying that Jesus is saying that if you run a business starting tomorrow, you have to pay everybody the same. That's not the point of this parable. This parable is how is God toward us? Now, how can I, how can I, how can I show unexpected grace to people in my life? Maybe that means you just out of the blue Give a monetary gift to someone. Maybe they weren't expecting it here. But maybe that means you give other kinds of gifts, like words of affirmation, encouragement. Maybe the gift of your time. Maybe the gift of loving attention. The gift of your presence. Here's another great quote. Listen, we are objects of love before we become subjects of who love? We are objects of love before we become subjects who love. We, have, we are objects of God's love in Christ Jesus. Now let that one-way love flow from His throne through our hearts to others. Jesus is bankrupting Himself so that we can have everything That's right after this parable in Matthew 20, 17 through 19. We are going up to Jerusalem, he says, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and they will deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified and he will be raised on the third day. He's doing that. Why is he doing that? So that we can be invited to his vineyard. He's he's paid the tab for All of us, all of us, isn't that good? All the poor and powerless, all the lost and lonely, all the thieves will come confess and know that you are holy. All the hearts who are content and all who feel unworthy, all that hurt with nothing left will know that you are holy. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for your goodness to us. Help us keep our eyes focused on you. Help us love like you, give like you. Help us encourage others and sing doxology over your blessing, not only in our lives, but others. Help us to realize there's so much grace to go around. In Jesus' name, amen.